Blog Talk. Welcome to another healing conversation brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and I want to thank you for joining us today as we talk about miracles for the next hour, specifically the power of miracle thinking and how we can harness that in our own lives. My guest today is Randy Pizer. She's the author of The Power of Miracle Thinking and Crappy to Happy as featured in the movie Eat, Pray, Love. Maybe you've seen that book. So today we're going to focus on Randy's latest book, The Power of Miracle Thinking, in which she interviewed over 40 people with some incredible stories. Randy is also the CEO of AuthorOneStop.com. She and her team of editors edit and ghostwrite books, and then Randy pitches them to literary agents and publishers. Her editors have been responsible for over 30 New York Times bestsellers. So, welcome, Randy. Thank you for joining us on Healing Conversations. Thank you, Loren. I'm very happy to be here. And I um, know that we have uh, authors who listen to this program, and so they'd love to visit your website at www.authoronestop.com. Now, when we're talking about miracles... And you've interviewed a lot of people. How did you come to write this book? I like to investigate subjects I'm interested in. So I don't start a project knowing the answers. I want to discover what the answer is. So. Welcome to another healing conversation brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and I want to thank you for joining us today as we talk about miracles for the next hour, specifically the power of miracle thinking and how we can harness that in our own lives. My guest today is Randy Pizer. She's the author of The Power of Miracle Thinking and Crappy to Happy as featured in the movie Eat, Pray, Love. Maybe you've seen that book. So today we're going to focus on Randy's latest book, The Power of Miracle Thinking, in which she interviewed over 40 people with some incredible stories. Randy is also the CEO of AuthorOneStop.com. She and her team of editors edit and ghostwrite books, and then Randy pitches them to literary agents and publishers. Her editors have been responsible for over 30 New York Times bestsellers. So, welcome, Randy. Thank you for joining us on Healing Conversations. Thank you, Loren. I'm very happy to be here. And I um, know that we have uh, authors who listen to this program, and so they'd love to visit your website at www.authoronestop.com. Now, when we're talking about miracles... And you've interviewed a lot of people. How did you come to write this book? I like to investigate subjects I'm interested in. So I don't start a project knowing the answers. I want to discover what the answer is. So, for example, in my first book, Crappy to Happy, um, I used to be a very unhappy person. And I wanted to know, could I really find happiness in this lifetime? And could I find happiness in spite of external circumstances? So in the pursuit of writing that book, I actually did find happiness, and I did find steps that led to happiness. So for the new book, The Power of Miracle Thinking, I wanted to investigate miracles. So I interviewed lots of different kinds of people who had different kinds of experiences, you know, like a guy's given 24 hours to live. It's now 14 years later, and he's, you know, quite fine. Obviously, there's a story there. And I wanted to find out, like, what are the thoughts, the attitudes, and beliefs that people hold or held, in this case, for the research for this book, as well as the actions that they took 
that they think may have allowed their miracle to happen. So that was my impetus. It was, it was an experiment to find out, are there common denominators in the creation of miracles? When you hear of the gentleman who had, was given 24 hours to live, that's a fascinating story. What did you find out? In his particular case, he was determined to be true to himself in absolutely every second of his experience. In fact, he had intended to be a good dyer, as he quotes himself. He wanted to die and be a good dyer. So what does that mean? Uh, he was a, he is a spiritual person, so he, he wanted to go through his death process consciously. And so he started doing a meditation. He's in the hospital. He has leukemia. He has pneumonia. And the doctors weren't sure, you know, what was going to kill him first, the, the, the heart rate that was out of control, the pneumonia, the leukemia. He was given 24 hours to live. And his whole family was gathered around him. And at one point, he just asked everybody to leave. And he just meditated. And in his meditation, he remembered his old swim coach from high school, showing him how to get more breath. And so he asked his one brother, who he had remaining in the room with him, to raise him up in the bed, prop him up with pillows. And just that slight action increased the amount of breath going into him. So it was through the meditation that he was able to get that image of him receiving more breath, and the breath kept him strong. And then his series proceeded, and a whole, a, a whole series of different things happened in his life. Um, and one of the things that he discovered in terms of being true to himself was that he had a nurse who was so there emotionally for him. But one day that nurse put a pick line in him that caused him to temporarily suffocate. So there was absolutely, he had no access to his oxygen. And when that happened, she saw her mistake and immediately corrected, and he was breathing again. And she said, you know, it, you know, it was a horrible thing that happened, but she really, you know, cared about him and wanted to continue as his nurse if, she, if, if he would have her. And he said no, even though he really adored her and trusted her, you know, up to that point. As soon as that happened, he realized that he needed to have whoever was working on him be somebody who he trusted so implicitly that there was never a concern for doubt because he was dealing with too much. So he was willing to be true to himself, even though it was hurtful to another person, but he was willing to put himself first. And so those are just some of the principles for that particular story. So what are the common threads that you were able to discover? You know, I, I came up with this formula. I'm, I'm a funny gal, and I like to do things myself with humor. And so you've probably heard of um, the Roth IRA you know, yes. people invest in, in this Roth IRA. Many people invest as a, as a retirement fund for oneself, correct? Mm-hmm. So I invented something that I call the Ruth IRA. Ruth is my middle name. And so the IRA is actually an acronym. And this is how I discovered that miracles happen. The I stands for insistence. And I had a dream one evening. I woke up in the morning, and I saw the letters as I was waking up. I saw them spelled out on a Scrabble board, and they kind of flowed one to the next, so I had to follow the letters to read what is this word that's being spelled. And the letters I saw were I-N-S-I-S-T, insist. And I said to myself, what is it that I'm willing to, to insist upon having in my life? The sense of insisting, because I realize when I have that energy of insisting, nothing will stop me from creating whatever it is I say I'm going to create. It's one of those moments when you know that you know that you know, and you know nothing will stop you. Maybe you don't even know how you're going to get there, but you know that nothing will stop you. So have you ever had moments like that, Lauren? Yes, it's very inspiring. You feel so confident. Yes, yes. So that's the I for the for the Ruth Ira. Okay. Wherever we feel a sense of insistence where we are going to make something happen no matter what, when we have that energy behind it, mm-hmm. we're going to create it. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where the, the problem or the, the sticky part comes in is the R in this formula, which stands for, in the Ruth Ira, which stands for resistance. So... Resistance happens whenever we have a push-pull going. 
and the push-pull can be subconscious or very conscious. And I'll give you an example. Years ago, I really, really, really wanted a relationship. I really, 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 really wanted a relationship. Uh-huh. But what was I terrified of? A relationship. I did not want to have my heart skewered one more time in a relationship. So I created a push-pull. Yes, universe, give it to me. No, universe, please don't. So wherever we feel that push-pull, yes, I want it, but, yes, but, yes, but, wherever we create yes, buts. One of the things I've discovered, and it's one of the, the stories in miracle thinking, uh, this was a friend, a friend, very dear friend of mine, Norman Mosher, his story is in the book, and he says, the universe likes a good target. The okay. universe likes a good target, mm-hmm. and that target must be clean. So if there's a yes, but, I really want X, but Y, we can't create it cleanly. The universe cannot give it to us cleanly. And it doesn't matter what it is, what that fill-in-the-blank is for you. But whatever you're holding as your, in your most precious heart and the most precious resources of your soul, those things that you really, really, really want to create, you, maybe you feel like you were put on this earth to create those things. If there is a but, a fear is a but, mm-hmm. anything that's a but, that which you want to create or that you're intending for will not flow easily and effortlessly to you. doesn't mean it won't happen altogether, but there's a stumbling block there to be aware of. So how do, how, how do we create? When, when we know, yes, we really, really want something, we're willing to insist upon it, but then there's that but, that resistant part of anything in our formula. The way I found to create, and this is a very simple and gentle way to move beyond the resistance, and that's the A in the Ruth Ira of insistence, resistance, and the A stands for allowing. And what I want you to do is ask yourself the question, what is it that I am truly willing to allow? What is it that I am truly willing to allow? Then I want you to sit with that answer, because this answer is your answer. And this can be a very simple, gentle truth. For example, in terms of a relationship years ago, when I asked myself that question, knowing, okay, I want a relationship, I feel fear around entering into a new relationship, what is it I'm truly willing to allow? When I asked myself that, the answer that I received for myself was, well, let's see. I'm willing to allow a, a dinner with a new person. You know, I, I'm willing to allow um, a phone conversation with a new person and maybe holding hands. And for me at that time, that was my safe and gentle truth. And that allowed new people to flow into my life. And I could increase my allowing little by little. So you just start from where you are. I mean, sometimes I think we are required to take those big stretching risks that feel risky and scary, but they move us forward in positive and wonderful ways. But then there's also this aspect of the gentle, quiet truth that is your truth and your truth alone. Does that make sense? It really does. And I hope that's helpful to many people out there. I love those words. It's totally unique, Randy. Insistence, resistance, and allowing. So when we're aware of that, um, it just it allows you to flow more easily. It, explain what the flow means and, and how you identify miracles. Well, the way I identify a miracle... Uh, you know, there's the Course in Miracles. There's all different things about around miracles, but the way I identify miracles, remember, I'm a funny kind of gal. I say, that was a miracle. And anything that causes you to feel that or say that, I'm defining as a miracle. Okay. Well, that's fun. <laughs> so the field is open. The field is really open as to, to each person's interpretation of that. 
So one of the things that I was very curious about, because you mentioned the word flow, and like, you know, sometimes all this synchronicity happens and things just seem to line up and the doors open and the phone rings and the letter arrives in the mail and the connections are made. And it's like you clearly feel like, wow, there's something really miraculous here. This flow is easy. Mm-hmm. And other times it feels like, oh, wait a minute, how come the phone's not ringing? I put all this energy out and... And, you know, and the doors aren't opening, and am I going in the wrong direction? Um, should I still pursue this? You know, there's there's all of those different kinds of concerns. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm, I'm looking at. What is flow? And sometimes using this, Ruth Ira, I've discovered when the doors still aren't open, opening, sometimes, and you still feel like in your heart, you feel pulled in this direction. You feel some kind of like, yes, I want this. I really, 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 really want this. And maybe all of me feels like I'm lined up with this. And, and, and so all those feelings are in place, but the doors still aren't opening. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And so what I say is, and what I believe is that, I believe that sometimes we are put through what I call W-A-I-T, wait training uh-huh so in this form of weight training i've discovered that sometimes the people we need to meet or the resources we need to put in place are not yet lined up and ready for us we may be ready for the for our vision to come about but the rest of the world has to catch up with us or the right people are not in the right place yet. It doesn't mean your dream is not going to come true. So it either means that people and circumstances need to line up correctly, or somehow the dream is off. Perhaps it needs to be tweaked in some way. Sometimes a minor tweaking, sometimes a major rehaul. It can mean that your dream or whatever it is you want is not in your highest and best good. So it could be any number of these things. I call weight training the ripening time. We're still receiving lessons. We're still receiving connections. Things happen or don't happen. There's there's like a, a timing and a flow. That's the best way I can put it. So we need to be patient, definitely, and just trust that we are in the spot where we need to be at that moment. Yes. You know, there's there's beingness and there's doingness, and I think there's a, a time and a place for both. In the being, we're trusting and accepting, and in the doing, we're taking action steps, and both contribute to miracles. Both contribute to miracles. Can you uh, talk about the professional speaker, Kathleen Ronald? who is just having a hop in business. Sure, sure. You know, Kathleen, uh, she's a dear friend of mine. She has a website called speaktacular.com. And so Kathleen, she's very angel-oriented and miracle-minded. And so what she does when she goes to events, for example, she doesn't go searching for people, like, you know, who wants her business, you know, where, you know, she's always looking for speaking engagements, you know, because a lot of people would do that, like, who can I connect with who wants me? She stands at her booth and draws people to her. She asks her angel teams to bring her the people who are the best possible match for her. Asks her angel team. Yeah, she says, if you can ask it, your angels can deliver it. And I just love that line. So that's how she builds her whole business is working with her angel team. Yes. And let's talk a little bit about angel teams. You know, years ago, many years ago, before I knew any of the stuff around miracles, one day I stood in my living room and I made something up. And I said it, or actually I kind of shouted it in my living room. I was the only one there in my little cottage. And I shouted it with insistence, because remember, insistence is part of my Ruth Ira formula, mm-hmm. although this was even be way before I did miracles, the power of miracle thinking. He shouted, I call on my collections, angels. I want you to go collect anything that's owed to me from anybody in the universe. 
So I said it with a lot of insistence, and I actually shouted it in my living room. I was in a place of uh, a lot of struggle at that time in my life many, many years ago. And some interesting things happened that day. One was I received a phone call later in the day from a woman who said, Randy, um, I left a money order for you in your mailbox. Now, this was a woman who had owed me money for over two years and who had blown me off, didn't respond to certified mail. You know, I thought it was some work from her for her ages ago, and then she never paid me. Mm-hmm. And so I had written it off, and here she was on the phone saying, I left you a money order. And she goes, I was too embarrassed to knock on your door and give it to you in person. But please accept my apology, and, and you know, my payment is there. And I'm thinking, great, it's a money order. That means it's not going to bounce. It's not a check. Mm-hmm. And so I had to take notice. It's like, oh, my God, you know, that was a collection. And then later that day, the phone rang again, and it was another woman who said, Randy, do you remember about a year ago you wrote some press materials for me, and we, we did that on trade, and I was going to give you a you know full body massage. You know, she was a holistic body worker in exchange for that. And, you know, I was just thinking about, like, how I never kept my end of the agreement, and I really want to clear my keep my agreements, and I'd like to, you know, make sure we do that. And because remember, I had asked for anything that was owed to me. Anything, not just a dollar value. Right. And so I thought about, did I know there was such a thing as collections angels? No, I made it up. But what I'm finding is that I believe there is, you know, there is, you could put your request out for any kind of team. So, for example, when I travel, I do a lot of traveling now. You know, I do a lot of speaking about, you know, the publishing world and how to get under contract with a publisher. So I travel quite a lot. And so I call on my logistics team, my travel team, to make sure that my travel is smooth and secure and and easy and that my luggage arrives on time and that everything is fine at my hotel and, you know, with my registration. And, And so I call on all kinds of teams. And it works. And and it's a wonderful thing to do. It's just a wonderful practice. You were talking a little bit about anything that was owed to you. What do you suggest for creating money miracles? Ooh, one of my favorite topics here. I'd love to share a story with you that um, this is going to reveal a lot to everybody listening. And people usually go, whoa, when they hear it. This is kind of like a warning in terms of all of us creating our money miracles. I was interviewing Susie Orman some years ago. Now, we all know Susie Orman, or most people will know her as, you know, a big financial guru. You know, um, we know her more, at, you know, from the financial world than from the spiritual world, correct? Yes, mm-hmm. You know, with her TV shows, her radio shows, all about, you know, saving money, going towards your retirement. But Susie once told me this story. I was writing an article, and I was interviewing her, and she said she was sitting in her limo in downtown New York in stuck traffic, and she looks out the window. And she sees a guy, and he's just squatting on the sidewalk. And as people are walking by, he says to each one, got a cigarette? Got a cigarette? And people are ignoring him. And she decides she's going to make his day. She goes, he's not even asking for money. He just wants a cigarette, for gosh sakes. So she opens her pocketbook, and she sees that she has $75 in her purse. She takes out the $75, and she decides you know, she's just going to make his day, and she's going to give him the $75. She puts her hand on the car door, on the, on the handle, to open up the back door the door where she is, and all of a sudden, she sees a couple walking by the guy, and as they walk by, and he says, got a cigarette, and they don't respond, he spits in their direction. Susie said, my hand was on the door, the money was in my hand, he was about to receive $75, and I saw that, and I put my money back in my purse, she said, his Anger repelled wealth. Mm-hmm. That's the, the point where we all go, ooh. Mm-hmm. She goes, he, doesn't, he didn't even know what good was about to come his way, but his anger repelled it. Mm-hmm. And that's really a story for all of us and a lesson for all of us. 
Where are you holding resentment? You're keeping your good. You're keeping your wealth from you. Where are you holding anger? Same thing. You're keeping your good and your wealth from finding you, from getting to you, for, from you being showered with it. So I want to give you another technique for bringing in money that's really quite fun. Okay. And this is a, a technique called asking for blue sky money. Have you heard this term before? Blue sky money sounds interesting. Blue sky money is a term that was coined by Peggy Black, who I believe you had on your show quite recently. Yes, we talked about blue sky money. Okay, so you have heard of it. So blue sky money is money that seems to come to you from out of the blue. And so I ask, I'll state like prayers in the morning or affirmations saying, I am grateful for the blue sky money that finds its way to me today. And I will share with you that in the last week, I found a $5 bill walking in my local park with my dog with nobody else in the park. That was earlier this week. Then yesterday, I found 43 cents in the grass in the park. (laughs) I think I've got a pretty lucrative park thing happening. (laughs) It's wonderful. My husband was out at the tennis courts, and he lost $80. He had cashed a $100 bill. And he had lost $80. And that is another lesson where let it flow and just know that that $80 helped someone and was a gift to someone who found it rather than stressing over the loss of that. If you can reframe something and make it positive. It's almost like the alchemy of our thoughts here. When we find ourselves going towards those negative thoughts, just to let it go, really, does it really matter that much? And then we're able to move forward and, and change it from that, that negative to that positive. So is that really what you do on a daily basis? Was it work for you to really watch your thoughts and your beliefs? And is it still going on with you in different ways? I am very cognizant of my beliefs, always. Always, always, I'm noticing the words that come out of my mouth constantly. Mm-hmm. So, and if a word feels negative to me, I'm going to be aware of that. So, for example, many years ago, many, many years ago, I used to say, it was almost my mantra, I'm disappointed. Ah. What did I keep attracting? Uh-huh. admit <laughs> those I am statements, I'm this, I'm that. Now, those are powerful declarations you're putting out to the universe constantly. So I decided, you know, well, I want to be truthful. And the truth was I really was disappointed at that time in my life. So what could I say that would still be truthful without being airy-fairy, like, oh, my life is wonderful and blessed and full of miracles, when I sure didn't feel it. Because I wanted to be authentic but still be more on the positive side. And so what I decided that I could really say instead of saying I am disappointed was I am. And that was it. And when I said that, I started crying. And that through those tears, I started releasing a lot of that disappointment. So if you can't get to a positive statement, at least get to I am. And let that be fine for now. And for always, actually, it's a powerful statement. Yes, it's a very powerful statement. So simple. And when you felt those tears, what was that, Randy? Do you think that was your soul connecting in and tapping in that it just let those negative feelings dissolve? One of the things that I wrote in Crappy to Happy, my first book, was this phrase, sorrow digs the well and joy fills it. And one of the things that I've discovered, let me repeat that, sorrow digs the well and joy fills it. I've discovered that it's the people who are really willing to feel their feelings and go into the depths of feelings, especially grief, which is a place where most people don't want to go, and if you're there, you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. But for people who are really willing to be present with their feelings and do the deep work that grief and loss 
spring. You are actually digging a deeper well in which you will have a bigger capacity to experience more joy. So sorrow digs the well and joy fills it. So a lot of people think that people who feel or cry are weak and it's, tears are a sign of weakness. And the absolute opposite is true, in my opinion. It's only strong and brave people who dare to cry. Everybody else is too afraid to cry and they're holding back the tears. So when I expressed the tears of disappointment, that was actually a very brave and courageous thing to do. And it ultimately allows for more joy. You know, I have to share a story. I lost both my parents last year, and so processing that, it was a lifetime to process of feelings and memories. And you were talking about the angel team earlier, and when I would sometimes just be overwhelmed with grief, you know, at a stoplight in my car, that's how quickly it would come on, there's something inside where it's almost like a choice point, Randy, where we can decide to process that and let it out, but also to just sit up and feel the joy so that we can turn it. So I see what you're saying there. You know, one of the things that I've discovered, especially when I wrote Crappy to Happy, people would say, well, are you happy? And when I discovered that it's really not about being happy all the time because that's just ridiculous and, and unrealistic, but I discovered that I had become a container in which I could hold many different emotions. So, for example, that allowed for you to have grief when grief, grief was appropriate, allowed you to feel lifted up and more relief at times when that was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Are there some people then that have trouble making miracles happen in your life that you've witnessed? That's a very interesting question. I would like to refocus the question in this way, especially if, if there are people listening and you just feel like, you know, you're lost or whatever. You're, you're just having trouble making miracles happen. Yes. So this is a question that I asked myself one day while I was driving along the freeway. I just said to myself, and this is a question I'd like you to ask yourselves as well, if I had a million dollars and I could only spend it on myself, what is just one thing I'd want? So if you have a million dollars, you can only spend it on yourself, what's one thing you'd want? And when I asked myself that question, the answer that I received for myself was, oh, I would take workshops. I'd go to conferences and, you know, take classes and workshops because that was something I was denying myself at the time, not feeling like I could truly budget for that realistically in my life. And then the next day, and I kid you not, my phone rang and a friend said, you know, Randy, I have a couple of tickets to go see John Edward. You know, the psychic who sees dead people? He's uh, speaking in Sacramento, and uh, my husband can't make it. These are $85 tickets. I'd love for you to join me and just give you the ticket. Do you want to go? I said, whoa, <laughs> yes, thank you. Less than a week later, another friend contacts me. Randy, I won a, a couple of tickets to an empowerment workshop happening in San Jose, California this weekend. I called in on a radio show and won them. So I signed you and me up. Want to go? <laughs> I said, uh, Sure. And this continued to the point, one time I was interviewing Esther Hicks, you know, New York Times bestselling Hay House author. Yeah. Does all the Abraham um, the Abraham work. And, you know, I have an exclusive interview with Esther uh, because she doesn't give interviews. And I, I got an interview for, you know, a magazine article I was writing, which I'm thrilled about. And, and at the end of the interview, Esther said, you know, I would love for you to be my guest at one of my upcoming workshops. And sure enough, offer again. So it kept happening like that to the point where a woman called me one day, and I had helped pitch her book to a publisher. Um, it was actually a book idea, and I found eight publishers interested in speaking with her and one literary agent, all who wanted to talk with her about her idea. And she just called me out of the blue one day, months later, after I'd done that work for her. And she said, 
she was doing a business training, and it was her platinum program, and she would like, she wanted to put me in her program and teach me how to run my, my business as a business, because I was a writer helping people with their book projects, but I didn't have an honest-to-God business. I didn't know anything about the business world. It really wasn't my realm. Writing was my realm. And so she put me in her business program in trade. It was a $10,000 trade. And this woman taught me how to be, to run a business and be a business person. And, you know, now my business is at Author One Stop absolutely flourishes. And I've become quite like, you know, a, a powerhouse of a businesswoman in the process. But it all happened from that one question of asking myself, if I had a million dollars and I could only spend it on myself, what would I want? And that door is still open for me today. So that's, you know, for people with, with workshops and classes, it still happens for me today. So that's why I started examining with the Ruth Ira, like, you know, what, what was the commonality? And I realized, okay, I was open. There was no resistance. Because if you have a million dollars in your hand and you can only spend it on yourself, there's, there's no resistance. You can, you know, you can buy something. You know, what is it you want? And so there was no resistance in my request. And it allowed the universe to give me this, bring this to me over and over and over and over again. So maybe that's helpful for somebody who's kind of struggling along trying to make something happen. That's a really good tip. We we just have to ask and focus and sit back and allow. And do. You know, I, I really do think there's a doing part of the journey as well. Maybe some people would disagree with me, but that's what I see. You know, I see the people who are willing to be persistent and do their due diligence, take steps on the physical plane. And the doing would be, for example, if you ask your angel team or your guides or the universe for something, like your workshop, if you had not have taken the step and accepted it, then you're not allowing. That's the action is saying, yes, I will take your ticket. And I'm going to take it one step further, Loren. I want to give a t- share a short story, if I may. Um, some years ago, before Crappy to Happy came out and I was looking for a publisher, I was so clear that Crappy to Happy was going to be the book that saved the world, that I had such insight in that book, told through humor, but it was really going to help people. It was going to be, in my mind, it was a New York Times bestseller. It was going to go flying off of bookshelves, but I just had to get that book to a publisher. I had to get my foot in the door. And I knew I wanted a career in the publishing world, not just to be like a, a one-time author. And I went to, you know, the giant book expos every year, and I pitched, and I wasn't opening, I wasn't getting those doors open. And then one year, it got to the point where I had run through all of my money. There's nothing left in my refrigerator except for the box of baking soda. But I'm so willing to stay true to my dream that I'm not taking on any other work. And I know my work, true work in the world is to get this book to a publisher. Then one day, I get this little insight, this thought. Don't ask me where it came from. It's probably, you know, it could be an angel, a guide, whatever. It entered my consciousness, and it wouldn't leave me. And the thought scared me. But what I saw, heard, thought was to go make myself a sign and go stand out off of the freeway and hold up my sign. And eventually I felt like I have nothing left to lose. My phone's not ringing in my living room. And I went and did this. I wore a really nice dress, high heels, a lipstick, you know, and makeup. And I stood out there with my my dress and my high heels off of the in Mill Valley on a Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. during commuter hours. Mm-hmm. And I held a giant cardboard sign that read, Author Seeks Publisher. Bold. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of chutzpah to do something like that. So uh, I, at first I was absolutely terrified. Yeah. But then... I noticed, like, people were giving me the thumbs up. People were cheering as they drove by. People would shout out, I hope you get it. And I realized I was so willing to be true to my dreams. I was willing to stand out off of a freeway with a giant sign 
in front of God, the universe, and all that is, and all these people, mm-hmm. and just tell the universe, I want this so much, I am willing to stand out here and show the world. And I realized I was inspiring people in that process. Mm-hmm. I stood out there for an hour, and one lady drove by, and honest to God, gave me $3. <laughs> <laughs> and I had made up a bunch of business cards so some people were going by they say what's your book and I would hand them the business card that had the name of the book and my contact information well that night a publisher called me he was the publisher of a magazine a national magazine and he wound up offering me the job of editor in chief of his national magazine Wow. Now remember, my sign said, author seeks publisher. You know how they say, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. My sign did not read, author seeks publisher for her book. So uh-huh. be clear with your request. But when the publisher offered me this job as editor-in-chief of his national magazine, I was so willing to be true to myself, and being editor-in-chief of a magazine was something I had already done. I was I had been editor in chief of a very large San Francisco Bay Area Mind Body Spirit magazine. And so I turned him down even though I had no money. I said, No, because that's not my dream and I told him what my dream was to get, you know, the publisher for my book and then he said, Well, how would you feel about working this job just until we find our right person? All of a sudden, this big light bulb goes up over my head saying, perhaps I can make a connection to a publisher for my book while being the editor-in-chief of a national magazine that I can't make while sitting in my living room waiting for the phone to ring. Mm-hmm. That was profound. So I wound up taking the job under you know the circumstances and, you know, worked it for the time that it was appropriate to work the job and absolutely loved it, regained income, you know, regained uh, even more self-esteem, I would say, by being back in the workforce and, you know, especially, you know, being editor-in-chief of a prominent magazine. And, and you know, then one thing led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. And my career, my writing career, my author career just kept growing and growing. It was an important step, but it was an action step, not a sit-back step. That was certainly the action going out there and standing out there. It's really bold, but you listened. Yes, it, it's risking. There's something about risk. There's that risk. When you take risks on behalf of your dreams, that's actually the new book that I'm going to be writing about, like what happens when you when you do something you would never, ever do or say something you would never, ever say on behalf of your dream. What happens? What happened? What's your story? So those are the stories I'm collecting next. Well, it's fascinating because you mentioned that in honor of your dream, you turned him down, but that was actually, it did the reverse. It only pulled him in closer because he couldn't have you. And because you were able to stand true to your dream, you turned him down, but then it still worked out in your favor. That's a beautiful story. There's this thing about just being true to yourself and how far are you willing to go to be true to yourself. That you know, it's an integrity issue. You know, are are you are you willing to be true to yourself? You know, I I think in this in these times when we've got the world more of the world is waking up and we've got people that are realizing the job and the career that they're in is not what it's all about. It's not what they're here to do. So what is your advice for someone who's in that process of how they can identify their passion and do what you did, turn it into a career that provides a roof over their head? I'm not sure that one's passion always has to become their career. I'm just not convinced about that anymore. I might have at one point, but I'm just really, really not. I mean, I think it's important to be grounded. Like, you know, there's the phrase, um, you know, trust in Allah, but tether your camel. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think working is important. I think bringing money in is important. Um, for example, there's a woman I know who worked at a farm stand, an organic farm stand for like, 10 or 15 bucks an hour. So she had a master's degree in teaching. She didn't want to be doing that. She had an author career that she was planning for herself. Well, guess what? One day I went to the farm stand to buy organic vegetables because I eat organic, 
And all of a sudden, I'm connecting with her, and the next thing you know, I'm shopping her book in New York to publishers. So doors can open. You have no idea where those doors can open. Keep yourself visible. Like I know one woman right now, she's just doing catering jobs just to make meet the bill, make the bills. But you never know who she's going to meet at one of those catering jobs. And and here's another important thing about miracles. There are many opportunities that come to us that we pass by. And I really want to encourage people to say yes as much as possible, as long as it feels okay. And I want to give an example. I had a guy tell me, you know, his career was just really, really just stalling out. And he was a meditation teacher. And he was approached by a major San Francisco Bay Area radio station to come on as a guest. Well, you know, he turned them down because it was a hip-hop station, and that's not his, those weren't his peeps, so that's not his audience. It's not his target market. And so he turned them down. And meanwhile, you know, he's sitting on his couch wondering where his next client's coming from. Just like, oh, my God, if he has no idea who could have heard that, what doors might have opened for him if he had only said yes. So what, there were opportunities that come consistently, Think about saying yes more than saying no. There's another thing I want to share with people, and this is a tip that comes from another dear friend of mine. Her name is Deborah Noons. And this is a tip for whenever anybody's in crisis, or not necessarily in crisis, because you talked about, like, you know, how do you get to your passion? How do you even find it? So whether you're in crisis or you're looking for what is that passion, there's a question that my friend Deborah asks herself. And I absolutely love this question, and I would recommend that you ask it, especially if you're in crisis. You can ask this question of yourself all day long and listen to your own answer. And the question is, what is the most loving thing I can do for me right now? This is part of the inward journey. What is the most loving thing I can do for me right now? Years ago, when I was in that horrible grief and tremendous amount of loss in my life back in the 90s, the mid-90s, when I asked myself, what's the most loving thing I can do for me right now, I might hear cry, and I would just cry. Then I'd ask myself later on when I wasn't crying, what's the most loving thing I can do for me right now? Go take a walk. What's the most loving thing I can do for me right now? Go do the dishes. Whatever it was, I listened to those answers, and I lived by that level of inner inquiry and inner truth. And it's amazing what can happen from that process. Because one time I just heard, sit. What's the most loving thing I can do for me right now? Sit. So I sat. And then I'd ask myself maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, what's the most loving thing I can do for me right now? Sit. And I kept hearing it. And then I kept hearing do nothing. And so I sat. And I started lighting candles as I sat. And I was lighting Hanukkah candles, like small candles. And I would stay with those candles until they burnt out entirely. So I was sitting about an hour and 20 minutes at a time. And I got so, so quiet in that process. I felt like I could hear the silence of a flame. Within two weeks, I was so silent inside. All that mind chatter, everything had just stopped. There was just silence. And then I started thinking about different stories and different things that happened to me in my life. And... I started just writing those stories. No, I didn't have a book in mind. I was just writing because these stories wanted to be written, and I just needed to get them down. And within a month, I had 100 pages of these stories, and I started looking at these stories and saying to myself, I think I have a book, but I have a book. What is my book about? And I realized all of my stories were about going, the journey going from crappy to happy, and that eventually led to the book. So it wasn't like... I asked, what is my passion, and found it, like, within seconds. It was a process of asking myself, what is the most loving thing I can do for me right now? And then the passion revealed itself in the process. It takes patience, too. You were very patient with that. Well, in that moment, <laughs> I can't always say that I'm a very patient person, but, uh, yeah, patience is definitely required in the process because of, remember that, wait Training, W-A-I-T, weight training. (laughs) I love those tips. So let's recap those tips. We just, we we have to ask, 
I love what's what is the most loving thing I can do right now. That's very important. Yes, and remember the universe likes a good target. So you want to always be giving the universe a good target. And then remember the the Ruth Ira insistence. What is it you're truly willing to insist upon happening? Because that is what you're going to create. Resistance. You know where is the but in that? Where is the fear, or the but, or the stumbling block? And then allowing. What is it that I'm truly willing to allow? So insistence, resistance, allowing. How would you identify the but in the resistance? That would be the hard part for people to identify. When you had that fear, how did you identify that? In that instance, it really wasn't hard for me to identify it because I just looked at, you know, what am I afraid of? If I get this, what am I afraid of? For example, some people might not know that they're afraid of success. Well, that's true, and sometimes you might feel that you're totally aligned and something's not happening, so why? And so the resistance, I've discovered, can be very subconscious. It can be hidden. It could be past life, for God's sakes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a point where I wanted to bring in more money. I felt like I've hit a financial, like a certain level, and I really wanted to rise above it, but I wasn't. And as far as I knew, I was clear and aligned with and open to, I've, I've expanded my ability to receive more. I've opened my arms to the universe. I expand my ability to receive more, but more wasn't flowing in. And so I actually did uh, an NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming Session, with a woman named Suzanne Baker. And lo and behold, we discovered that there was like a, a being, an inner being, who was making sure that my money stayed at a particular level. And at the end of that session, we had removed that particular being, given it a new job. And then the last question that this woman, Suzanne Baker, asked of it, asked of this being was, is there anyone else? And we discovered there was another being from another lifetime who was controlling that one. We worked in that one session, removed both of those beings, and all of a sudden I had 150 people contact me. Like, the floodgates Wow, so it's really clearing. makes me think that everyone should go get an NLP session. <laughs> or, or some kind of work, whatever. You know, there's hypnotherapy. There's many different processes and people that do them. So, you know, if the doors aren't flying open and you really feel you are in alignment with that dream. What was that of your inner being? Can, did you recall it as a past life? Did you visualize it? Yeah, I, I saw um, I saw men. Uh -huh. <laughs> they, 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 were, they were male beings, and that I saw one of them. I couldn't the first one. I couldn't quite identify the second one as a, an actual image or figure, but I heard and felt that there was a being, and and it was keeping this other one in place. Uh huh. Fascinating. They were like controllers of some sort. That was just locked in the subconscious, and it's all right. released. And so, no matter it's like no matter what I did, I couldn't I couldn't remove them myself, at least in that instance. But when I mean the floodgates opened, then my my big problem, if you will, became how do I handle so much work coming at me at once? And I had to put new systems into place to to balance that. That's a pretty high class problem to have. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I was <laughs> thrilled. Well, Randy, it's been so wonderful talking with you. As we go, I want you to reveal one of your most favorite stories or words of advice for people living in today's time. You know, one of the, my favorite um, miracle thinking phrases uh, was I heard from Oprah, and Oprah said, I always knew that the universe had a, had a bigger plan for me than I had for myself. So I always asked, what is your dream for me, and will you allow me to live in that dream? What is your dream for me, and will you allow me to live in that dream? And to me, that's like really asking for the highest and happiest best good. And I just absolutely just love that phrase, and I, I hope that opens new doors for people as well. I love that, too. Thank you so much for sharing well, thank you, Randy, for being here. How can we get either of your books? www.miraclethinking.com. They're both available on www.authoronestop.com. Also at www.crappy2happy.com. <laughs> so, 
take your pick, and um, I'm just very happy to share information. Again, the new book is The Power of Miracle Thinking. And I think it was a miracle that your book made it into the movie Eat, Pray, Love. And I had no idea that it was going to be there. I'm sitting in movie theater on opening night of Eat, Pray, Love, and all of a sudden there's my book being held up in a bookstore scene while Julia Roberts is having a crappy life in the movie. (laughs) She's looking for self-help books. There's my book. (laughs) Believe me, that was quite thrilling. Oh, exhilarating, especially sitting there. I think I would have thrown my popcorn. (laughs) Actually, for the next ten minutes after I saw that, I have no idea what happened in the movie. (laughs) You were out there, yeah, on cloud nine. I was in the women's restroom afterwards in a long long line of women, and I just screamed out, That was my book! That crappy, the happy book! (laughs) I was so excited. I, I couldn't even hold it in anymore. Oh, well, a well-deserving cheer right there. That's awesome, Randy. (laughs) Well, thank you again for joining us. You're very welcome. And thank you, too, for listening. If you've enjoyed this program, please share it with your friends so we can get this important information out to the world. This program is supported by donations by listeners like you. Your support allows us to bring you fresh information that is empowering, inspiring, and uplifting. It's also information you won't find so commonly in the mainstream media. Please visit AcousticHealth.com. Thank you for your support, and I now leave you with music from the universe. This music was literally created by the universe as mathematical equations were assigned to musical notes. The result is this beautiful music.